Let's turn to Matthew 5, verses 10 and 12 today. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. So where we're going to be. Hey, we're ending the Beatitudes this morning. We're still way into Matthew, but, we're, we're, but I want you to feel progress as we end the, end the Beatitudes this morning. Verses 10 through 12. So I've, I've, I've hinted or maybe even expressly stated this a, a few times, but I want, you to, I want to sit on this just for a minute about where we are in Matthew and kind of what Jesus is doing in this talk right now. Because it, because we're at the end, we want to under, kind of look back and understand what Jesus has been doing. Like His sermon is super intentional and strategic and structured in a very specific kind of way. He's, it's, uh, and so as if we take a deeper dive, sometimes you know, we're down in the forest floor. Sometimes you can miss the fact that you're in a forest. Right? So I wanna, we're going to fly up and look at the whole thing, all the Beatitudes today. I want you to understand what's going on there. And then we'll look at the very end and see where this, this thing has, has landed. So there are a couple of different ways you can think about the way Matthew 5, 3 through 12 are structured. Um, my... The, 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 there are two ways that I want to look at it. So the first way is to think about it in terms of a, of a centrifuge or a spiral. So if I had a whiteboard here, I would turn to the whiteboard and I'd pick up a marker and I would draw a, a spiral. I'd start in the middle and I'd draw a circle and then I'd draw a circle out and I'd draw a bigger circle out. You see what I'm doing? The spir- and the spiral is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right in the center of that spiral is Matthew 5, 3. Okay, right in the center. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, that, that's right in the center. There is, just the, is the kingdom of heaven. That's where you start. And as you spiral out, you come to uh, those who mourn, right? So if you're poor in spirit, you're empty of self, and then you mourn the state of your own sin and the sin of this, of this world which inherently has an impact on your relationships. It makes you meek or or humble. That's the next part, which in turn leads you not to hunger and thirst for the sin and things of this world, but instead, because you're empty of self and you've mourned the sin of this world and you're a meek and humble person, you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, And what does that righteousness look like? It looks like mercy. It looks like moral purity. It looks like... um, Oh, what's the last one? Uh, <laughs> peacemaking, the one everybody loved. And um, so it, it looks like that. So we've just spiraled, starting with the, the empty of self and just moving out in a spiral. And then when you get to persecution, which we're going to talk about today, guess what comes next? Empty of self. And it just keeps going. And you just repeat the cycle. But it's not a circle that doesn't grow. It's a cycle that continuously expands and expands. So to be a Christian is to live the cycle and to grow as a result of living the cycle. Okay, that's, that's what Jesus is illustrating here um, in, in part. So that's one way, one way of understanding the message that Jesus is, is sharing in the Beatitudes. But the other way is just to, is to look at it, or another way, is to look at it just in terms of two, two groups, two blocks. There are two groups of four. Right, And each group in your Bible ends with a reference to the word righteousness. You can see this. Look at the first group is verse 6. So you have verse 3, 4, 5, and then verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then 7, 8, 9, and then now we are in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So you've got two blocks right next to each other. So you've got three Beatitudes that we've talked about. We've got 
um, uh, the, the three Beatitudes that lead to a hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the first three. Poor in spirit, mourn, meekness. Those things very naturally lead you to a hunger uh, for righteousness because you don't have that. You don't have righteousness. You, you thought you had it in yourself, but now you're empty of self and now and you're, you're meek in your relationship. So now you're hungry for a true righteousness, right? So the next three Beatitudes are a are, are description of a full righteous life. Um, it is overflowing in mercy, a pure heart. You have a power to make peace in, in, in your relationships and bring it to bear in this earth. So all the righteousness that you hunger and thirst for in verse 6, you have in verse 7, 8, and 9 in the form of mercy and, and purity and, and peacemaking. So, so there's two, two blocks. But what's the result of a life lived in the true righteousness kind of way with regard to mercy? If you're a truly merciful person that we described, what's the result? If you, if you truly are a light in darkness, a, a morally pure person to the glory of Jesus, not self, because you're empty of self, so to so the glory of Jesus, what's the result? If you are truly a peacemaking person to the glory of the Lord, not to, not to yourself, if you're truly a peacemaking person, what is the result? There are two choices. Persecution. Or glory to God. Persecution or belief is the way I'm going to phrase it today. And verses 10 through 12 deal with those topics. As you shine your light, as you be a kingdom of the, be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven in the kingdom of this world, there are going to be two responses by and large. Persecution or belief. A negative response or a positive response. Okay? So that's what we're going to see. So let's Let's stand together and let's read Matthew 5, 10 through 12. This is Jesus wrapping up the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. I want you to think about the most merciful person that you know, the, the most pure, I mean, just the embodiment of Christianity for you. Not Jesus, but in your life right now. Don't, don't say it out loud, okay? But just, I want, you to, I want you to get that person in your mind who, who is so good at, at navigating conflict and bringing peace to relationships, who's so, just so careful to... To not call into question their, their moral purity and their, their integrity, their credibility as a member of the, of the church or as a, as a Christian. Who just has a way, right, of being sensitive to people's needs and, and wants to know that they also have the mercy of God in their life. I want you to think about that person. And then I want you to ask the question, 
why in the world would anybody persecute such a person? Why would anybody be persecuted for being merciful? Why would anybody be persecuted for being pure? Why would anybody be persecuted for working to make peace? Who wants to pick a fight with somebody who's always trying to help everybody? Why would you do that? And I stumbled. I just I really stuck on this question this week. And I want to give you two answers to that question. One is just, I think, fundamental to human nature. And the other is straight from the, the text itself in the, in, the, in the Bible. Now, the one that's fundamental to human nature, you'll see in different principles all throughout the Bible. But, but the other is really straight out of what Jesus is saying here in this text. So why would somebody persecute somebody who is righteous? The first reason is because it is just fundamentally human to loathe a standard that exposes your inability to keep that standard. You see what I'm saying? It is, it is naturally human to loathe a standard that exposes your inability to keep that standard. And sometimes that loathing can turn toward an active hatred or persecution. Okay? So I want to illustrate this a couple of different ways. One's going to be lighthearted and one is more personal. Okay? So I'm going to encourage you to, you know, to, I'm going to bring you in and then stomp on your toes. All right. That's what I'm going to do. So when I was in college, I had a, a friend named Fayette. And he was also a roommate for um, one, my first year of grad school. So we knew each other. For, he was on my freshman hall, and we lived in the same apartment complex in my junior and senior year. And five years we were friends, five years, okay? He was a phenomenal musician uh, in every capacity, like one of those guys that could just kind of pick up any instrument, okay? The Sams, the Justins, that kind of person, okay? And, 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 um, but, but guitar was a specialty, Okay, so Sam, I say, where'd Sam go? Where'd you go? Oh, there you go. Michael Hedges, Phil Kagey. This is what he would play on my hall. He's 18. Like that kind of stuff. That, just incredible. Okay. And it was just mesmerizing to watch him play and listen to the things that could come off that guitar. I mean, it was unbelievable. And that inevitably introduced me to a lot of recording artists that had inspired him, like I mentioned. And I have yet to forget what Fayette said to me when I asked him about who I could listen to so that I, too, could learn how to play guitar like he did. Okay? And he said, Rob, there are two kinds of guitar players, the kind that make you want to learn how to play and the kind that make you want to throw your guitar away because you'll never be as good as them no matter what you do. So you see what Fayette's doing in that statement, right? There's a fundamental loathing, the kind that makes you want to throw your guitar away. There's, there, there's, there is a place in our heart where we, we loathe a standard that exposes our own inability to reach that standard. And so we don't want to be around it. We don't like it. And, um, and, and if we're not careful, we can turn that loathing into anger or hatred toward the person who is reaching that, that standard. Like, I'm just not going to buy Michael Hedges anymore because I can never be Michael Hedges. I'm just not going to... You see what I'm saying? Okay. That's real. Now, 
There's no persecution in that sense, but that's, that's the sense of what's, what's going on. Now, take off your shoes. Suppose you come into a relationship with somebody who, is, who aspires to be really generous, like absurdly generous with their finances. This week, I was in a conversation in which I learned of a man who lives on 20% of his income and gives away more than 50% to charitable causes. Okay, he's in his 30s. It would be quite natural as a human being to not really want to be around that guy if you were living on 110% of your income and hardly giving it all. Right? This guy's generosity, which is a super high standard, like that's like super high standard, naturally exposes your less than ideal giving situation. And so you are quickly tempted to loathe that person because they expose something in you that you don't like and that you don't want to deal with in yourself. Make sense? Now, I could go, I could go on, but you, you get the point. Being around humble people exposes our pride. Being around hardworking people exposes our laziness. And on and on I could go. And so as a result, we, we face this temptation. It's human nature. It's just fundamental, fallen human nature to loathe people whose standard exposes our inability to meet said standard. Righteousness exposes unrighteousness. just has that effect. And when you have that loathing and you act on it at the other person, that's persecution. Okay. So just the reason why, one reason why... A really good person would be persecuted by somebody that's not. It's just because it exposes something in us. It's fundamental human nature, and we don't want to be around it, so we try and end it. Okay. But there's another reason that persecution happens, and it's, and it's directly tied to the text. Look at your phone or Bible. Okay, Matthew 5.10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted, underline, highlight, because of righteousness, okay? And then verse 11, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you, underline, highlight, because of me. So you see how these, they're parallel. You are, because of righteousness and because of me are parallel. They are essentially used as synonyms, but the latter one, because of me, is amplifying or elaborating on the phrase because of righteousness, the kind of righteousness that makes Christians blessed when they get persecuted for it is the kind that explicitly includes a relationship with Jesus. It's righteousness that is done for Jesus' sake, not human sake, not our own sake. One pastor put it this way. He says, the mercy, going back to the earlier Beatitudes, 7, 8, and 9, the purity and the peacemaking of a disciple of Jesus comes from Jesus and is done for the honor of Jesus. And it's this attachment to Jesus that gives our righteousness its distinct character into which I would say that's what makes it worthy of persecution from the world. So, 
So someone could be all about mercy, all about compassion, all about generosity, all about you know, you know, peace in this world, and be lauded for it. But you attach that to Jesus, and you're raising the ire of persecution because it's not to the glory of man; it's to the glory of God, and that makes it that makes it more likely to face persecution. So, so that's I think that's why. Persecution happened. It's fundamental to human nature. And by the way, we're making much of Jesus, not of man. And man is a jealous man and wants glory and wants credit. Okay? What do I mean by, what does Jesus mean by persecution? Okay? Because that, that's helpful, I hope. It's helpful. It's helpful, helpful for me. But it's also confusing. Because how are we to know that our actions of mercy or peacemaking or our moral purity is really motivated by a relationship with Jesus? How are we to know that the people of this world see our moral and our purity and our peacemaking and our mercy and they recognize it as something that is coming from Jesus and not just because we're good southern people? And therefore, when they act on us or toward us in a way that's you know, hostile, how do we know that's actually persecution for righteousness sake? Really, really, really tough questions. So let me, I'm going <laughs> to tackle it this way. I'm going to describe what I, what I think persecution is not, okay? And then we'll talk about what it is. It's helpful for me to talk about it in this contrast. So uh, a long, long time ago, uh, a, a British pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a very, gave a very long sermon on this text, like absurdly stupid long. But in this sermon, he lists four things that Jesus did not say about persecution. And I found this list super helpful. Okay? This is super helpful. Number one, Jesus does not say in this passage, blessed are those who are persecuted for being good. For being good. Because he says, being good or doing good will often get you rewarded in this world. Not persecuted. There's a, an article in the Wall Street Journal this week in which the, the citizens of the city of Santa Barbara have filed petition after petition after petition against the local Chick-fil-A because their chicken is so good, it snarls up traffic up to two hours a day on this road. Like you literally can't even drive down the road because so many people are willing to wait in line on the road in order to get in line and get their sandwich in Santa Barbara. Like, folks, we may have an addiction problem, right? Like, how good really is, okay, I'll, never mind. I don't want to, like, ruin Trey's little scholarship that he got, so, uh, for working there. Good gets rewarded in this world. It gets rewarded with 70-minute wait times for fast food. You see the irony, Okay. The world generally praises and admires those who do good and noble things. We don't put it on the news because it's not as addictive to watch as the bad news is. But we always put the good news at the very end of the bad news so that we'll come back for more bad news the next day. That's on purpose. Okay. Good news generally gets praised. We love philanthropy. We love that people give. Okay. There are people who have made great sacrifices, given up careers, and the world has thought of them as heroes. 
which means they, there's something that's not righteous about that good work. Okay. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they were irresponsible in the way they evangelized. Ouch. Lloyd-Jones says, there are Christians who bring all kinds of trouble down on themselves because they are foolish in their style and tactics of evangelism to the culture. Maybe they're unusually insensitive. Maybe they're offensive. But for whatever reason, they bring all kinds of ridicule and suffering on themselves. And Jesus did not say, blessed are those who unnecessarily bring persecution by being irresponsible in the way they talked about me. 1 Peter four fifteen, Let none of you suffer as a meddler. It's when preachers, you know, preachers leave preaching and go into meddling. That's where that comes from. That's right. So if we are, if you, I want you to think about it. Think about your life. Okay. If we are experiencing suffering or some form of persecution because we are irresponsible in our testimony because we come across as nosy or cocky or bullheaded, that's not the kind of persecution that's a blessing. It's not the kind of persecution Jesus is talking about. That's not persecution for righteousness' sake. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who are persecuted for religious or political reasons. Ah! If you mix your faith with your politics, you're going to get persecuted. It's going to happen. But that doesn't mean that it's persecution for righteousness' sake. It's a difference. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The beatitude and the promise apply to persecution for the sake of righteousness. And it can be very easily to be persecuted for your political faith, your political beliefs that are born out of your faith, but that is not persecution that applies to this text. Okay? Neither did Jesus say, blessed are those who are persecuted for a cause. There are a lot of good people who suffer for a lot of great causes, but this is not the same as what Jesus is saying here. Being persecuted for a cause, civil rights, um, ending abortion, foster care. When, you, when, you, um, when you're persecuted for those causes, this has a tendency, says Lloyd-Jones, to make us prone to develop a martyrdom syndrome, which means you don't feel like you can be blessed in your faith unless you were miserable as you practice because people are knocking you all the time. Like you're addicted to the sense and the feeling that you're a martyr for this cause. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is is tough. None of those things are persecution for righteousness' sake. Okay? Okay? So what does Jesus mean here? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of me. In other words, blessed are those who are persecuted for being more and more like me. And you see this all through Scripture, Old Testament to New. Abel is persecuted by his brother Cain because he was actually being holy. He's actually doing the right thing. Moses got persecuted for his leadership and his faithfulness to the Lord over and over and over again for his calling. Saul relentlessly persecuted David. Daniel instantly comes to mind as a classic example of persecution for being more like Jesus, more like God. And none of those people, that's just the Old Testament, right? None of them were persecuted for being foolish, fanatic, their political ambitions, the causes they were giving themselves to, 
No, they were persecuted just for being moral. Just being, for Jesus' sake, to the glory of God, not themselves. And this, this is the way Jesus would put it in John 15. Listen to John 15, 18. He's, this, is after, this is after abide with me, abide with me, remain in me, remain in me. What's going to happen if you abide in me and abide in me, remain in me? Verse 18. If the world hates you, <laughs> understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of this world, because I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul, 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, on his deathbed, in his death prison, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay? Which reminded me of Romans 12, 18 through 19. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But the problem is it's not always possible. Because righteousness in the name of Jesus gets you persecuted, which is why Paul says in verse 19, friends, do not avenge yourselves. (laughs) If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. You're going to get persecuted. Don't respond in like kind. Because it's written, vengeance belongs to him. He will repay. He's going to take care of it. So Paul knows that in as much as, yes, live peaceably. What's going to happen? You're going to get persecuted for living a God life. How do you respond? Peacefully. Which is just going to ramp up the persecution. So we know what persecution is not. Now we see what it, what it is. We know why persecution happens to righteousness that is attached to Jesus. We have a better idea of what it is and is not. So I want to give you, how many did I write? One, two, so many. Like five, five takeaways, okay? The bulk of the sermon here is on the practical application. Number one, be weird. That's simple. We can do that, right? We should be weird. Let me put it another way. Give persecution a chance. Give persecution a chance. Be weird. A couple of years ago during the pandemic, we were sitting outside on the patio having yet another home-cooked dinner. <laughs> and um, we're all the whole family. And um, Luke was, uh, you may remember this story, Luke. We were all sitting there talking, and it was actually going well. And, um, and, and you all know Jonathan has a port wine stain on the left side of his face. And, and Luke had been like kind of honed in on it. We don't even notice it because we've had him for 16 stretchy years. And he just, you know, we don't even think about it anymore. But Luke was just honed in on it, looking at it, looking at it. And he was asking questions about the port wine stain. And we we're talking about the, which led to a conversation about all the surgeries we had and, you know, pediatric, you know, uh, lasers and all the stuff that is amazing that, because we live in Nashville and all the health care. And we were just talking about it, how it affected him as a baby. And he had, you know, scarring and what and whatnot. And Luke was hearing these stories. And he goes, man, Jono, I bet you were a weird baby. 
Just like that. Which is so true. I mean, poor Jono. I mean, it's just half of his face was like on fire. You know, it's for two years. We were walking around. Be, I want you to be weird. Noticeably weird. I think this text encourages us to be noticeably weird. A broken and humble person who hungers and thirsts after another world, who seeks to bring that kingdom, who seeks to bring Narnia into earth, if you will, by being merciful and sincere and peacemaking. That's a weird dude. That's a weird sister. And the world is easily given to persecution of people who are different. So you give persecution a chance. Give it a chance. Uh, this is just it's very convicting. We are so good at being nice. And nice is not righteous. There's a difference between being merciful and, and peacemaking and pure in a way that's going to get you some trouble. Remember the movie The Sandlot? He's, he's moved into town. He's lost his dad. He's got the new stepdad. And he's just, he can't make friends. Smalls. He can't make friends. And he's sitting in his room building all these little engineering things. And his mom says, go make friends. Go, 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 go do this. Go do this. Go get into trouble. When is the last time you heard your mother going to say that? That's what I'm telling you to do. Go get in some trouble. Okay? Give it a chance. Number two, embrace the blessing. This world should put a bad taste in your mouth. It should put a bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> we, were, we were in South Carolina, Jono. Oh, my gosh, it was so funny. He, was, he loved juice. Man, he was way into orange. Who's not, right? He was way into orange juice. It was orange especially, like every... Everything about orange juice, it was everything about Jonathan's personality at that time. And so I picked up another thing of orange juice, but this time I picked up the kind with lots of pulp because that's what I like instead of the kind that his mother had been giving him, which had no pulp at all. And so I poured this big, you know, glass of whether he turned it up and just drank, 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 and he put it down and goes, Ah, Harry, Harry! <laughs> Thought he had all this hair in his drink. So great. Then there was the time I was cooking dinner for several people, pastoring at the church. I had a, you know, like a small group over or whatever. I, I cooked this risotto, and instead of using white, cooking white wine, I used white wine vinegar. Nobody wanted that risotto. Right. It just it puts a terrible taste in your mouth, right? I want, this is, that's what I mean by be weird and give it a chance. Like you, this world should have a bad taste in your mouth. We are blessed and should rejoice because of persecution on account of being like Jesus because it helps us understand more greatly the value of a kingdom that we live for and are going to, heaven. So when you get persecuted, you get that bad taste in your mouth regarding this world, good! Because you don't, this, is, this shouldn't be where you want to live permanently. You're on mission here. You're on, you're on call. You're on duty. 
that is coming. I want this, this world needs to have a bad taste in our mouth. We are blessed and should rejoice because of persecution. On a, This is why we're blessed. We're, we're, we embrace the blessing. We're blessed because it, when we get persecuted, it reminds us that we're not made for this world. That's good, okay? Jesus says... For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, that guarantees for us, that assures us, that reminds us that we're on God's team. When you get persecuted, yes, they tackled me. That's because they recognized that I wasn't on their team. That's a good thing. I got my team. So I got tackled because I was on this team. I don't like, it's not comfortable. Like, Good, that means you're made for another world and you know it and you recognize it. The persecution helps you remember that, okay? I'm like Jeremiah. I'm like Moses. You get to identify with all the people who got persecuted. Good, that means you're on their team. You're on the right team, okay? So you're blessed when you get persecuted in that regard, which leads me to a third reason to embrace the blessing. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Namely, is that it fuels evangelism. So you've heard it said that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. I'm saying something similar. The persecution of the saints is the fuel for church growth. Okay? So Acts 5.40. I love this passage so much. Like Peter and the apostles, are, they've done all their preaching and people are believing in Jesus like crazy. So the Jewish leaders have them called in and arrested. And they had this whole thing and Gamaliel talks them talks the Jewish leaders out of, you know, ending their lives. But they, verse 40, they called in Peter and the apostles, they had them flogged, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they released them. Verse 41, then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, flogged, ordered to shut up, and they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. See the response. They were blessed in their persecution because it identified them as members of God's team and it gave them, it reminded them that this world is not their home, that heaven is, that Jesus was better than anything else in this world. And look what the impact was in verse 42. Every day in the temple and in various homes, what happened? They continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So you're blessed when persecution happens because it's like somebody filling up your evangelism tank. They think they're shutting you down, but they're fueling you up. That's the result. So embrace the blessing. Lastly, if you're not a Christian, I want you to take stock. Okay? According to this passage... Our whole outlook on everything that happens to us should be governed about whose team we're on, what home really is, is it this world or is it heaven, and who awaits us when we get there, which are all really great questions. So I want, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, I want to ask you a question. Whose team are you on? Whose team are you on? Where are you going? Who or what awaits you when you get there, okay? They're really just 
all the nuances, all the shades, all the variations. They're just two ways to live. There's God's team and there's the world's team. There's following Jesus, there's not following Jesus. There's an empty self following Jesus. There's a full of self following yourself or whoever else you want to give your heart to for the time being. Okay. So I want you to take stock and, and I want you to give your life to Jesus. That's what I want you to do. I want you to be empty of yourself I want you to mourn your sin and the sin of this world. I want you to enter into a relationship with, with the God who fills you with himself as a result and makes you more and more like him. And I want you to go down this road with us to heaven, the road to heaven. That's what I think this passage calls you to do. Let's pray. Lord, we... we we pray for the unbelievers and the believers today. We ask that the so for an unbeliever, it's you know here we have an opportunity, right, to to take. To take. We just consider whether um, we're just being good moral people, which is really just a way of worshiping our, ourselves and getting glory for it. Or if we're empty of self and, and see the need to give our heart and to, to, give, to fill our, have our lives filled with, with the truth of the gospel. So we're, we're, we're prayerful, first of all, that you would bring, that you would open the eyes of, of the people, the unbelievers in this room and give and call them to yourself and open their eyes and help them see and, and, and have the courage to make a choice and walk down this aisle and talk to Kevin or Ken this morning and say, I'm going to follow Jesus now. My life is all about me, and that is going nowhere. Turns out I'm a black hole, and I, I, want, to, I want to repent and give my life to Jesus. That's our, our prayer. Secondly, Lord, we as a church, like we, we need clarity in our minds that our righteous living is about you and not about us. Man, the, the danger is if our if our perceived righteousness is about us there's no persecution in that so help help us be weird help us give persecution a chance in the way that we that we live for righteousness sake not for causes not for all the things that this sermon we read was so helpful not not for all those things but for true righteousness sake because of Jesus let let us know that we're living lives that are like, like Peter and the apostles, that we're worthy of being affiliated with the name of Jesus. And that's why it comes. And grow your church through it. Grow your church through it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.